Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture Podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. Well, it is now our second episode of Pondering Scripture. I appreciate those who have listened and even shared this podcast thus far, and I hope that it continues to be worth your while to listen. And just remember, of course, that I'm just a man trying to study the scriptures and explain them in the best way that I can. So hold me accountable when you get a chance. Read James, the epistle, and have a familiarity with it so that you know what we're talking about. And I'll do my best to to guide us in a study of God's word. Very quickly, I intend to, instead of doing consecutive episodes on each chapter of James. There's only five, but as I'm splitting them up into various episodes for each chapter, that'll last me quite a while. And I really like that because there's material that I know that I can and use, and I don't have to think up of other things um, as often. But instead of having a, a long, long study of James without end, what I'm going to do is between each chapter, have some kind of topical study. Now, I don't know um, exactly what topical study we'll have first in between chapter one and two, but I think that it'll generally be some kind of a four to five episode series. So maybe have a study of James for a month and then a topical study for a month and then James two for a month and so on and so forth. and, And we'll pick it up as we go along. And so I hope that'll be of interest to you. And I hope that it'll be a benefit to you as well. Also, last podcast was about 30 minutes long. I don't intend for them to be that long. That's just me learning and figuring out how I can do it and and how much material I can go through. And so bear with me. I'm sure today's episode will be significantly shorter. We'll pick up in verse 9 in a minute of James chapter 1. But I think it's necessary to remember what happened in verses 2 through 8. Essentially, there's the topic of trials, but it's how we deal with trials. Trials are granted as just a fact of life. And I think we can all agree upon that. We've gone through our own various trials. And James is instructing Christians to view those trials in a very optimistic way. And it's not that our rejoicing is in the trials inherently, but we discussed how the context indicates the rejoicing is with a knowledge, knowing that, verse 3, that this trial, a test of our faith, gives us opportunity to grow as a Christian, to grow in faith. Namely, these trials provide opportunity for patience or endurance to be produced in the life of a Christian and therefore a maturity to be reached in that realm of endurance. But also in verse 12, we'll see, I think, next episode, that it gives us an ultimate opportunity to prove ourselves to God. Blessed is the man who endures its translated temptation in the New King James Version, but we'll note it's the exact same word, and I think he's continuing the discussion of trials. So blessed is the man who endures trials, For when he has been approved, he'll receive that crown of life. So we want to be approved when we come out of these trials. And you might just remember 
a parallel passage of Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, in regard to what trials produce. Ultimately, it produces hope after our character is proven. So know that you can have endurance produced in these trials and know that you can prove yourself to God. But one of the reasons that we need to count it all joy when we fall into various trials is that we're not alone in these trials and that God's going to use this negative to our benefit. And one of the ways we're going to be able to see that through to the positive outcome is to ask God for things that we need. And specifically, what James mentions is wisdom. Now, we talked about how wisdom comes from God's word. We'll see that throughout the rest of this chapter one of James, and that we're praying to God for that wisdom. And the way he'll grant it to us is through our own diligent study. But he talks about a condition upon our asking. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. And we talked about how asking in faith is asking in the interest of our faith's growth. In other words, when God reveals to us in his word, when we study it, that the way he wants us to approach this trial is to endure it, is not to cast it aside, is not to cut it short, like James says, let the patience have its perfect work, but to but to just, you know, lace up your bootstraps and, and get to work and just grit your teeth and and get through this painful time trusting in God. When we hear that, sometimes it's not necessarily what we want to hear. And so instead of praying for wisdom with this idea that I really have my own way that I want to approach this, I've got my own ideas, and then therefore casting aside God's ideas, contending with God's ideas, ask in the true interest of your faith. I really want what God says is best for me. Because the opposite is that man who doubts. He contends with God. We talked about that word means contend with God. And he's like that wave of the sea, and he's he's a double-minded man. And when someone asks God for something, and they really don't want it, they have a hidden reservation in their heart, God reads the heart, and he's just not going to give anything to that person. Now, I think when we pick up with verse 9 through 11, he doesn't really change the subject. We know 9 through 11 to be talking about the poor brother and the rich brother and how they're supposed to act. But I think that this is an example James is giving, a very real example, especially to his audience he's writing to, of current trials that various classes of individuals are having to face and endure. Verse 9 says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. I think that James 1 is cohesive. I don't think he's jumping from subject to subject. I think he's got a common thought in mind. And with that, look at verse 27. When he says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I think that we can see a connection between those verses and the verses we just read in verses 9 through 11. The common reality with those who are poor during this time were often those who were orphans and widows. They didn't have the breadwinner. They didn't have a supporter and a provider. 
And there would be temptations for those poor individuals, trials, the, the poorness itself, the poverty itself was a trial. And so they need to look to God as Christians for help, not to look for ways that are against God's will to get out of these troubles, but to always trust in God. And like Paul says in Philippians 4, to be content no matter what. But the same would be true for the rich. It may be that the rich's temptations are those which pertain to immorality, and he would need to keep himself unspotted from the world. The rich, as we'll see in chapter 2, are those who oppress Christians and drag them into the streets and into the courts. And they were often individuals, much like a lot of rich people today, not all rich people, but a lot of the rich people in the world today are materialistic. That's all they care about. They're prideful and arrogant, and they'll do whatever it takes, no matter how low it is on the moral spectrum, to gain more riches, even by oppressing others. And so we've got to have this perspective of God who is outside of time and is outside of the material universe, who is spirit, and understand that there's struggles in being without money and struggles with having money as well. And I think sometimes we as human beings can get this perspective that, look, that person has money. They have no problems. I wish I could be like them. But in reality, we're all in the same boat. We just have maybe some different problems. They come in different ways. So consider that James is still talking about trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and make sure that you you let patience have its perfect work and make sure you're asking God, how do you deal with these things? And, and you got to study God's word in order to know that. But consider first, verse nine, this lowly brother. What might be the struggle of a poor brother? And keep in mind that this lowly person and this rich person are both named brethren. He's talking to Christians. He may be giving them warnings but both are individuals who can remain faithful to the Lord. But consider the lowly brother. Understand that this person in his poverty is already in the midst of a trial. It's not easy being poor. And I think that goes without saying, but it needs to be said because while the rich may have a slightly different trial, it is still going to be a trial nonetheless, but it's going to come, I think, in more of a degree of not letting those riches go to his head. But with the poor, the poor is in the midst of a trial inherently as one who is a poor person. There's just very di various difficulties that come along with this. Now consider, though, that he is to glory in his exaltation. And so it's a reality that he's poor, but it's a reality that is exalted. And I think what we see here is a contrast between his physical state and his spiritual state. And it's going to be the same thing with the rich and his humiliation. He is rich, but he also is in a humbled position. And instead of glorying in his rich estate, he should humble in his or rather glory in his humble position. And so the lowly brother, he's poor physically, and he's going to need to glory in the spiritual things. In chapter two, James, when he talks about partiality, 
says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Now, this poor person needs to maintain that perspective. I don't care if I have a cent to my name. I have an abundance of treasure in heaven. And we would all do well to realize that even in our affluent country of America, there are times where we may struggle to pay the bills or to get by or or even have a temptation to look at how much money these other people have. But the Christian's riches are not on earth. Those riches will pass away. So glory while you're in your poverty and the fact that you're exalted in the eyes of God, you are a child of God with an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Consider Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph, and what might be a temptation of the poor righteous man. He says in Psalm 73, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, if we start looking at other people, especially those who are rich but are ungodly, there's going to be the temptation of envying them. And what that will do is take our focus away from the path of the cross that we're trying to tread and get to heaven. Instead, God wants us to have the lens of farsightedness. We can see far. We can see beyond what is right in front of us. We're able to see our riches in heaven through the eyes of faith. And if we work toward that, then we can glory in that. But let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. I think it's quite obvious that it would be difficult, especially during that time, for a poor Christian. But that poor Christian has much to rejoice in. But consider this as well. While we may be naturally inclined to think that the rich has it better than the poor, that they're not going to be going through any kind of struggles that the poor man is going through. Just understand that firstly, he's called a brother. I think we already understand going into the workplace as a Christian, it's difficult. But we know also the power that money has or that Satan has behind the tool of money to make things just spiritually dirty and how struggling it can be for a rich Christian among their rich peers who only want to get more and more and more, and they're willing to do whatever it is that it takes to get it. That's why we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9, that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many and foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money in itself is not evil, but money has this pull toward the physical realm, the material realm that we need to be wary of, because if we're not aware of the dangers, we're going to be pulled down into the muck of sin. And so here's some of the trials a rich man might have to endure and put up with and get through as a Christian. He's going to first have to learn not to trust in those riches. First Timothy six seventeen command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, 
nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That in and of itself is a test of faith. The rich young ruler in Matthew 19 was tested by Jesus himself. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. But he went away sorrowful for he had many possessions. That's a trial. That's a test. And it can be a difficult one. But also understand that he's going to face social ostracism because we mentioned in chapter two that the poor were those who oppressed people, drug drug them to courts, took advantage of people. And a Christian just can't be that way. And so he's going to have to keep himself unspotted from the world. He's not going to be conformed to the world, Romans 12 and verse 2, but transformed by the renewing of his mind. And that's going to bring a lot of hate upon him. How do I deal with that? How does a rich person deal with that? Well, God would have us to endure, to continue to trust in him, and really to use those riches in a godly way by giving to those in need. But what he's going to have to do ultimately is glory in his humiliation. And so where the poor man was physically poor and his exaltation is spiritual, so the rich man is physically rich, but his humiliation is in the spiritual. And I think what James does is very aptly puts these two brethren of drastically different social classes on the exact same level playing field. And so where a poor man may be inclined to think little of himself and a rich man may be inclined to think too much of himself, now they understand that even though I have nothing in the flesh, I have everything in heaven. And even though I have everything in the flesh, it's really not lasting. And my true riches are in heaven, which are of the same amount as this poor individual. There's a humility that comes with being added to the body of Christ. And James is saying, rejoice in that, not in what you have in the flesh. And he gives a good reason why, because those riches, they are going to fade away, but also you are going to fade away. He says, as a flower of the field, he, the rich man, will pass away. No sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes. And he uses that vivid imagery in an application of the rich man's life. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. And I think that that pursuits is kind of a play on verse eight, all his ways. It's just the way of life. It's his, it's his, his life that he's living. Those are the, the ways that he's going and his life is but a vapor. Like we see in James chapter four. And so this word pursuits as defined by Arton Gingrich, is simply a way of life, conduct. And so he's just saying, don't trust in those riches, don't glory in those riches, because your life is really nothing. It's going to fade away. You can't take with you into heaven, into the, the life beyond death, what you have now in physical possessions. And so don't glory in it. Instead, glory in your humiliation. And I think that one of the ways that that brother can glory in his humiliation is kind of like what we read in Romans 12 and verse 16. This person has brethren who are also rich in faith, but are maybe poor in their flesh. And instead of setting his mind on high things, he's of the same mind toward his brethren and he associates with the humble, Romans 12, 16. I think that's where verse 27 of James 1 comes into play. 
that pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. So use your riches to benefit your hurting brethren. And so I think what we see here is just an example of some trials. And it's important, I think, that he addresses the trials, not just of the poor, but of the rich, because Christians need to understand that no matter how different their station of life is, everyone's going through something. That's just how life under the sun is. But what God wants us to do is ask him for wisdom to endure these things, ask us for wisdom to face these these tests that we're going through in this life. Look to God's word for that wisdom. He'll give it to us liberally and without reproach, but always ask with this perspective of growing in faith according to God's own will. And so don't try to cheat to get out of poverty. Don't try to cheat to stay in the wealthiness of your life, but instead look to the spiritual, trusting God, and rejoice in the prospect of heaven. Rejoice in your hope. Rejoice in your relationship with Christ. Like I said, I think that this context continues in verse 12, and we'll consider this idea also going through verse 13 of of maybe that part of the double-mindedness where a man asks in faith or asks for wisdom with doubting, and really he has this hidden reservation. Well, that is a temptation to go something opposite from God, and that doesn't come from God. And so don't be, don't be deceived about that. Understand that God's way is the best way. And this could all be applied to this idea of this lowly brother and the rich brother in their trials. But understand also it can apply to any other trials we may have to endure. We'll pick up with verse 12 next week. Notice that we're doing this on Tuesday. And so you might start looking for the Pondering Scripture podcast around every Tuesday. I appreciate your kind attention and have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.